Thank you, Mike, for reading in uh, the scriptures there. I gave him the wrong cue <laughs> to come up here. But uh, uh, what he read in, in the book of um, Acts is, I think, going to be important for you to kind of have a, an attention drawn to it and a focus. Tabitha really enjoyed uh, just getting to hear what God's doing in your life. And, and, um, and um, you know, she put her contact information up here and, and um, the book title. And I saw a few phones come up. <laughs> and people were taking pictures of it. And I remembered once I was in a class, one of my first classes at the university in, in uh, Abu Dhabi, and uh, there was like a hundred kids in there, and uh, actually it was a hundred girls in that class. And um, so I was detailing stuff out. The board was full of notes from left side to right side, top to bottom was just full. And um, all of a sudden I looked up and. And I saw, like, all these phones out. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if I was supposed to pose or, or what was happening. But they actually asked me to step aside. And that was just, a, you know, the new age way of taking notes. You just do a quick snapshot and, and they have everything they needed. So that was kind of interesting to see people do. I never think about that. But it was a good idea. Anyway, um, I'm excited about what, what God's doing, and, and uh, you have to tell Mario, because when you were asking questions, um, he thought I had got the answers from you. I, I did not get the answers, but, but I've seen that. I've actually, just in uh, Cindy and I, and traveling around the world, we've seen those kinds of numbers, and, and um, it was actually a huge blessing to realize how many brothers and sisters that we all have other places in the world that love the Lord and are serving the Lord. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, what's it going to be like one day here, maybe not too far in the future, when someone knocks on your door and they announce themselves as a missionary from, and they want to share the gospel with people from America? We need it. Um, and it's, it's gonna, we have some. I'm sure there's some here now. Maybe we don't, aren't aware. But anyway, it was a blessing to hear that. So, um, turning your Bible this morning to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And I think in the past I've made some um, uh, comments about uh, the book of Revelation and John's uh, letters to the seven churches just in a peripheral way. Uh, this morning I want to dig into one of his letters, the first letter to the church of Ephesus. And uh, before we read the text, um, I think most of us maybe have enough background in the book of Revelation to, to know that there, uh, Jesus, our Lord, dictates to John uh, seven letters to seven churches in Asia, modern day Turkey. And... Um, the voice of the one who was speaking to John, there is no doubt that it was our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The interesting thing, and, and just give you a basic outline of how the Lord um, talks to all and, and uh, dictates to John his message for the churches. He kind of has this pattern, but um, one of the things that our Lord does is he announces himself in a, in a very... Um, particular and suitable way to each of the churches. Um, you want to follow along, I'll, I'll tell you these verses, they're all within a page here in the scriptures, but I think it's meaningful the way the Lord 
writes these letters to the churches and gives them something unique about himself before he goes on with the letter. Um, in um, chapter 2, verse number 1, he says, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's our Lord. In um, verse number 8, the words of the Holy One, or verse number 7, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And then in verse number 12, Oh, I'm, in, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I got too much highlighting going on here. I, I missed it. Thank you, brother. Uh, let me go back to, the, to uh, um, the first one in Ephesus. He says, I, um, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So that's the first church. Then the next one, verse 8. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. These are the things he wants the church before they read this letter to understand and know about him. The church in uh, Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. The church in Thyatira. The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Church in Sardis. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The church in Philadelphia. The words of the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, the beginning of God's creation. So he wants to announce himself in, in a specific way and a very particular way to each of the churches in a meaningful way to their context and their particular situation. The introductions are followed by a formula, sort of, not 100% rigorous, but it's kind of a formula where Jesus um, talks, he says, I know your works. He was intimately acquainted with them and he says, he goes on and talks about things that he approved of in their church. And then he speaks to things that he did not approve of in their church. And then in each case, Jesus followed up with advice, with counsel, with admonition, with promises, whatever their circumstances demanded he encouraged them through trials and through injunctions to put away their sins. To put things in order in their church. And then we can rest assured as we read these letters to seven very specific churches that what was addressed to one church at any time would be equally applicable to all the churches. This book that he would write, we call it the, the Revelation, would literally be a book that would go out to, that same book would go out to all the churches. So we could understand that Ephesus would hear all the things that Christ would say to the other six churches. And they were adapted to rebuke the church, to elevate and to comfort Christians in any one age or any one land anywhere in the world. 
We know this because at the close of every one of his letters, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it is meant for us equally to hear these things and to receive them from our Lord. So now I want to read this letter to the church in Ephesus in um, chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tasted those, or have, excuse me, have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So this is what he approved of in the church of Ephesus. But I have this, he goes on, to what he's, he, he disapproves of. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at the first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, the book of Revelation is just interesting all the way around. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I like it. Um, I really enjoy reading it. I've learned to read it different ways over the years. Um, I used to read Revelation to try to find out things that the Lord never intended us to know. And I've read books of men who found those things that the Lord never intended us to know in the book of Revelation. But now I read it and I read the book and I'm thinking, let me read this book and try to find out what is the Lord wanting me to know as I read through the book of Revelation. And that's like the most comfortable way and I think the most encouraging way to read the book. We get a lot out of it. In this first part where he writes to the churches and he has... He begins with this very unique context. As I said earlier, he, he speaks something about himself, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the one that holds the seven stars in his hand. Those seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Not angels like Michael and Gabriel and such, but they are the messengers, literally the presbyters, the, the leaders of the church are held in his hand and he walks among the, 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 the lampstands and those are the seven churches. Now that's some imagery there that we get and it's like, okay, that's interesting. What is it saying? Well, it says that our Lord is all about who you and I are. He is all about this church. We sing a song about inviting him here and inviting his presence and his spirit to speak and to work in our lives. And this is exactly what he does. This is what he longs to do. 
and he wants to be, he, he wants to be intimate with his church. It's, we're his bride. He loves us. He gave the ultimate price so that he, he could claim us as his own. How, how do you see yourself? Our Lord is here today. He's within our hearts and he, he, and, and he loves being here and, and being acquainted with us. He knows us inside out. He holds the stars in his hand. He, he, he watches over the leaders of it, the church. He walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks. He walks in the midst of his church. Cares so much about them. Where else would he be? You know, sometimes I wonder what we, we go through our lives. You know, we trudge along day after day in our journey and wherever it happens to take us. What do we think our God is doing every day as we go moment by moment through our days in our life? What do we think our Father in Heaven is doing? What do we think our Lord and Savior is doing? What the Holy Spirit is doing? You think they are, they're standing in the background waiting for the clock to run out? And ready, waiting for the end of all things? No. We're clearly told in many places in the scriptures that God is intentionally involved in everything about His church. In the mission outreaches that we do, in the teaching and the discipling that we do, in the worshiping and loving Him that we do, He is all about those things. So, it's no, it's no wonder that the letter begins to be penned in just this way, that he commends himself to the church in Ephesus. And he says that, uh, I hold the stars in my hand and I walk among you. And he wants us to know how involved he is and what place he takes up. He commends them for, and, and then goes on and says, as we've read, he commends them for their patience, for, the, for their opposition to uh, evil and, and uh, false teachings that were going on uh, in the churches. He commends them and, and dis- he approves and shows his disapproval of so many different things. Um, he, uh, he commends them for their zeal and their fidelity and carefully examining people who come among them. Maybe themselves and the people who come among them. Those that claim to be apostles, they carefully test them and check them out and make sure they're not going to come in with some kind of false teaching. They're all about being careful about this, examining the character of all that are among them. They realized and knew and dealt with the fact that there were imposters among them. For he commends them in their persevering and bearing up under trial and not fainting in, in, in the cause. He reproves them for having left their first love. He admonishes them. We're going to break down and look at these individually but in a moment. But he admonishes them uh, to remember whence they had fallen. He said, go back. I want you to think about it. Think about where you were and where you are now in the fall that you have endured. He threatens them that if they don't repent that he will come and remove the candlestick out of its place. Ooh. Well, have you ever known a church that is no longer a church? 
the church that I was saved in, it is no longer there. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, some years ago, a hole was dug in the ground and it was bulldozed over and and put in that hole and dirt was put over the top of it and it was reclaimed as pasture land. But there was a day, now I don't, I, I, I don't know, I wasn't there when the church started and I wasn't there when it closed out, but I know that that's where it is now. It no longer is a light in the community, but it had a, it had a period of time when it was powerful. And Christ walked among the people of that church and stirred them and, and gave them uh, direction and, gave, and, they, and they lived on the truth of the Word of God and they sent missionaries uh, around the world. But Jesus says that if you don't return and repent, then I'm going to remove the candlestick out of its place. This is the Word of God. Then, finally, He assures them and all others that whoever comes, overcomes, that He will give them to eat of the tree of life. Wow, I like that part. That's in heaven, y'all. That's in heaven. And He says, you're going to come. Uh, and you're going to have the tree of life to, to eat of. And you're going to be in the midst of the paradise of God. You'll be in the midst of the kingdom of God. So, what an encouraging word. This is, in a nutshell, of the, the letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, I, I want to talk about just, you know, something that's got to be getting stranger and stranger in our society. And that's just the context of, of getting a letter from someone. You know, when we get emails from people, um, and because of my age and things that I've had to do, I just, I don't like getting emails, but they're necessary, so you get them and you answer them and stuff. And and in my profession in teaching, I got way too many, um, and way, way too many. And I saw a brother of mine in Abu Dhabi, and one time he, I was looking at his phone, and he had a, a thousand and something unopened emails. I was envious. That, that I could just have them and not open them up. But this is what our world is kind of used to, or at least the younger people. But I remember the day, and, and still happens occasionally, where I get a, a, a handwritten letter in the mail. I love it. I don't, you, you, some of you got to remember this, you know. And if you don't, you, if you do, keep it going, you know. Let's teach our young people about this kind of thing. I got a handwritten letter from my granddaughter a couple of weeks ago. It was the sweetest thing ever. And uh, we like a letter. I remember in college in the first semester, you know, we would all run down to the, to the uh, school office and look in the mailboxes to see if we got any, any letters from home. And we were always excited about those letters from home. And, um, you know, letters have all kinds of things. They have encouraging things and they've got tough things to hear and so on and so forth. Well, this is such a letter. It's got some good things in it some, and some tough things in it. But I started thinking about this letter to the, to the church in Ephesus and I thought, man, this letter is, is, this is all encouragement. It's all encouragement all the way through the things that Jesus approves of and the things that he disapproves of. What happens if you don't get the letter? What happens if you don't get the letter and you, find, and you don't know what Jesus disapproves of? And then you, you continue on and that 
in that area of life or in that area of, 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 of uh, behavior in some context. And this isn't what God had wanted you to do. Ooh, you need the letter. I mean, you, you should throw, throw your hands up and shout with joy that a letter like this would come. And then when you hear it, think about, think about Jesus spending the last Passover with the disciples. You remember reading and studying about that in the Gospels? And he uh, gets down uh, after the meal's over with, and he said to them that one of you will betray me. Do you remember? I don't remember which one of the Gospels. They don't all, rec- all record it the exact same way, but one of the Gospels, it says this. It says that they went around the table, and seeming like one by one, and they were going, remember? I- is it I? They weren't like lifted up in pride or anything about what Jesus had said, but they were terrified that it might be, is it I thought... Lord Jesus that that will offend you that will betray you and they went around because they didn't want it to be them they they wanted to be on guard I don't want it to be me we love you this is the kind of letter where you would want to respond the same way and say Lord oh, how how did this happen and then do something about it it's like you know sometimes a warning sign can be a really powerful thing you know stop there's a cliff you don't want to keep going. And I think that what, this is what we have is we have a warning sign and it says, Stop, don't keep going because this isn't the right way. So, in this letter to the Ephesian church, Jesus says, I know your works. I know. He, he knows everything that you and I do. He knows everything. He knows the motives behind the things that we do. He knows the things that we do to His glory and to His honor. He knows the things. He knows the hidden things in the dark corners of our heart that we don't even want to know ourselves. He knows us. He knows the works. So what is He saying? He says, I have the authority and I have the right to say what I'm saying and to send you the letter that I'm sending you. I know your works. And so it begins with the Ephesian church were careful about error in their church. Wow, were they ever careful. You read this and go, oh my goodness, you know. Um, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found. And, them to be, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. When I read this, people, this is not a, a common, this is not the Lord saying he approves of some one single event that happened in the church of Ephesus, but this was a long process that they were going through. When the enemy attacks a church, how does the enemy attack a church? With big things? Someone comes in here with a t-shirt on and says, I'm a Satan worshiper. We're not going to hesitate and show them how to get out. You're not allowed in this place. But that's not how Satan works. He doesn't work in those big ways. He minces things down to little things that we think aren't important and they go neglected. And so it's pointed out by our Lord that, that the church in Ephesus cared about those things. They watched carefully, very carefully. If you go to the book of Acts, chapters 18, 19, 20, and you read through there where Paul's dealings with the church in Ephesus, 
after he had, he had gone to Ephesus the first time with Aquila and Priscilla. They would come from Corinth and they went there and there was there a few, we don't know for sure, they were there for a short period of time. He left Aquila and Priscilla there. There was a body of believers and they were going to minister to them. Paul went on. He came back a couple years later and he stayed for two plus years. He stayed right there in Ephesus and he taught them intensely about the way, the way of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he spent two years teaching them about the way. And then he leaves and then on another trip, he's coming close to Ephesus. He can't get to the, to the, to the city, to the town. He can't go and visit the church. He's, he's got to be aboard a ship probably and he's on his way back to, to Jerusalem. But he's on a ship and he gets off there unloading and loading. But he sends a messenger or sends someone to Ephesus and asks the elders to come. Please come. And so they come and they talk, and it's a beautiful thing when this is a little encounter he has with the elders of the church of Ephesus. But one of the things that happens there is he's warning them and saying them, be careful for error in your church. Be careful for it and watch it closely. And um, he says there are going to be false teachers that are coming in. We have false teachers uh, in our churches in America. And... Um, and if maybe we got false teachers in our own midst, have we tested? Have we tested? Or do we, do we speak the word of God only to those other people way out there, but never to ourselves? This letter is to the Ephesus people, the church in Ephesus. But I said earlier, it's you who have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a letter for us. Each of these letters is a letter to us. We need to insert the name of cross timber in this ranks and said, you know... This, is, this letter is, is written to us to be, to be careful with, to receive the, the, the accommodations, the, com, the, the approval of our Lord in certain things. Listen, I have a history in this church, and um, many of you have a lot more history, and some of you are newer to the church. But I have seen over the years beautiful, wonderful, extraordinary things happen in, in the congregation that makes up cross timber. Wow. Uh, I've been a part of so many mission trips and uh, local outreach and, and discipleship and prayer. And it has, been, it has sustained me in very difficult times. Sustained me. I, I, this is the church. I wonder what the, a letter would say if Jesus wrote us a letter today to this church. He would have commendations. We would, we would like, yes. We would say, yeah, Lord, we were there. We were part of it. It was fun. It was joyous. We were triumphing in Christ day by day. But we would be remiss if we thought that there would be no part in that letter to Cross Timber that didn't have something in which the Lord said, well, this, this one thing I disapprove of. I disapprove of this. Certainly there are. We need to be vigilant. This church was vigilant. They were, they, 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 they were detailed in everything they did. They didn't want error coming in. And so when these elders came to um, meet the Apostle Paul, he said, there's going to be false teachers. And he said one other thing. He said, some of them are going to come from among you. They wept. They embraced the Apostle Paul. They loved him. They re- I'm sure they were thinking about the years he spent with them, teaching them about the way, and they thought, no way, we don't want this to ever happen. Well, if you're not on guard against it, it's a guarantee that it will happen. 
It is a guarantee that it will happen. One of the things, and I think I've shared this with you before, that I was astounded at when in the six years that we were in Abu Dhabi, every time I spoke to one of my Muslim classes or, or students on the side that were Muslim and we would talk about religion, we'd talk about Islam, we'd talk about Christianity, they never knew anything. They never one time nailed it down uh, about something. In America where we have 20% of the Christians in the whole world. In America, if people would talk about their faith and what they understood and what they believed, if we would say, hey, I agree with that. It's biblical. It makes you wonder. But this church was careful about it. And when they found out that there potentially could be some among themselves as elders of the church of Ephesus that could have had something wrong, they were overwhelmed. They didn't want that to be the case. They didn't want it to be the case. They labored against it. Error is a tricky thing when it comes into a church. Jeroboam is a good example of that. He met with the prophet Ahijah. The prophet took his robe off, this beautiful robe off, and, and tore it into 12 pieces and told Jeroboam, 10 of these are yours. They represented the tribes of Israel. He says, you're going to be king over, the, over Israel. Ten tribes, you're going to be the king over. And as long as you do what God says and you follow his word, things are going to go well with you. And so off Jeroboam goes to the north to, and to, to lead Israel. Well, in the process of his thinking, he thinks to himself, wow, how long will these people stay with me before they make their pilgrims to, to Jerusalem for an offering to go to the temple there? And they decide they're just going to stay in Judah and not come back. And, and I, I won't, I'll lose my, my, the people that I'm supposed to rule over. And he was concerned about losing things. Um, so what did he do? He created two golden calves and put them in two cities and said, this is your place. He said, these are, these are the, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. That's exactly his words. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. He swayed the people and they received those golden calves. Well, he, he, he said this. This, this really re- just represents the God that brought you out of Egypt, the same God that, that, that um, Judah worships. So what's the difference? But he instituted that error and it went horribly wrong after that and on all levels. So being vigilant is... Uh, it's desperately needed. We can't put our, bury our head in the sand and think this is not the case. It's not important. We have to be like, what does God say? If, if we realize the, the measure with which He loves us and we enjoy the fact that He loves us and He gives us a great promise of hope and He forgives us for our sins and, and, and sustains us with this loving, steadfast care over our lives, then it should be our desire to please Him in every single thing we do. Measure it up against the Word of God. Measure it up against the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that the Word of God is a lamp to our feet. I think all too often on our journey, we've got a flashlight on our hand shining it way out there in the future somewhere, trying to see what's going to go on. Instead of step by step, let's honor and glorify the Lord our God and enjoy Him and receive His truth. It's important. So, Jesus approved of what they were doing. They were diligent and they, were, they toiled, they labored. You know that word labor there? How you labor? That's kind of the word for 
it's kind of like agonizing. It wasn't an easy thing. It's not easy to, to reprove, to take a reproof. Have you ever been reproved by a brother or a sister in faith? Have you? Most of you probably have not because we don't like to do that. I have. And it was painful. On some occasion it was 100% undeserved, but I didn't say a word. I received it. But today, what would a reproof, what does a reproof or a rebuke mean in, in the church today in America? What it usually means is you're, you're out the door and down the street to another church. Because you don't understand how much of a part of this body you really are. And every one of us, every day. Can you hear me for a second? Every one of us, every day needs a reproof. Every one of us, every day needs a rebuke. We're in Sunday school class, right? Bob says, Who, we sin all the time. We need this. We need the correction of the Scriptures. The, thing you, the reason why you want to get up in the morning and have quiet time with the Lord or time to read the Bible so you can get corrected and get started on your journey that day in the right way. It's, it's, it's that important. We can't do without it. So Jesus approved of their great efforts, their arduous toil in keeping truth, truth and error out. And then we go into the next part. And um, so... Wow. Um, Time. Okay. He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. What? How can you approve of so much that the church is doing and keeping error out and fighting for truth and being vigilant about it and then hear these words come from your beloved Savior? Whoa, you, uh, you have abandoned the love that you had at the first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. And I was like, wow. First thing I wanted to do when I read this and, and some time back, I, I started going through the book of Acts and reading what happened. And you know what happened? And that's why I asked Mike to read that passage this morning. Um, when... Uh, uh, when Paul was teaching them and about the way and truth and they had error coming in. The seven sons of Sceva, Sceva were, were saying, man, we're going to do some of this exorcism stuff just like we've seen others do it and in, the, in, in the name of Jesus and the, the, in the name of the God whom Paul uh, worships, we're going to cast out demons. And while they said, well, we know Paul. This is the demons talking. We know who Paul is and we know who... We, knew who, we know who Jesus is, but who are you? They didn't have a relationship with God and, he, and they didn't know anything about Him. And then it goes on, the people were just amazed at what occurred and how they were, the truth that they had and what they had witnessed and seen in the miracles and the testimony of the power and authority of God that it says they came confessing. And they and, and divulging their wrong thinking and their wrong practices. And to the point where, you see, uh, Ephesus was the kind of church that it was like a giant religious center. It was the, like one of the, one of, one of the great wonders of the world was in the city of Ephesus. It was the temple to, to the goddess Artemis. And it, it was, they were, it was a place of great magic and superstition and, and it had, it was, it was inundated the whole of the city. And these people came and, and they confessed 
their participation in those things. They brought their books and their wares or whatever and they had them burn 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. One denarii, one silver denarii was, was a whole day's wages. 50,000 pieces. Maybe that was even more than that if it was a day's wages. Was it a copper coin or was it a silver coin? And it in an immense amount of money and they burned it all. Let me add an emphasis to that. I think the church today, they don't burn it. They have a garage sale. They pass on all their bad stuff that they don't want and they try to make some profit off of it and make some money and give some money. They burned it. They were ashamed of it. They didn't want to be associated with it. They burned it all because their loyalty was to Jesus. And to Him only. I think this is the first love that Christ talked about. This was the love they left. They didn't want anything about their lives associated except with Christ. And except the things that Christ would approve of. What about us? What about cross timber? We got enough property out here, I think we can even burn on it. I wonder. You know, do you hold things in your life that don't differentiate you from the world? Would we confess and divulge our practices because we don't want to offend our God and we want to be 100% associated with them? They grew into this because they were taught according to the way of Christ. They said, this is the way Jesus wants us to live and to walk and to love and to care about people and serve Him. And we read that and we embrace that and anything else we don't want any part of. That's a distinction right there. And I think this is the love that He says, you've left. This is the love you've left. We need to look at that within our own hearts. If we think for one minute that we don't need that, then I think we're all wrong. See, this is my family right here. I get to say this. This is my family. And Rusty is my pastor. I love him and I pray for him. I pray for this church. Let me confess something to you without all the background, but I'll confess something to you. When we came back from Abu Dhabi, when Cindy and I came back, wow, we wrestled, we prayed, and we cried. You want to know why? Because we didn't know if we wanted to come back to Cross Timber. Not because of any one thing, because of things I can't sort out. But we were thinking, I don't want, I don't want. But then we just started praying about it and saying, God, where do you want us? It doesn't say, uh, don't get me wrong here, it doesn't say something about you, it says something about me. And, um, and God said, I want you right here. I want you right here. I was so relieved when, when God gave me that information because it's my faith family right here. A lot of them are here right now. They're somewhere, but it's bigger than this. But they're my faith family. Listen, I want us to be honoring and glorifying and, and, and approving all things that we do before our Father in heaven. 
I want to love Him and honor Him and glorify Him. And I want my family to love and honor and glorify Him in everything we do. Thinking about it every single step of the way. But we have to, we have to receive this letter. We can't sit there and think about all the problems of the churches around the world. Just here. Just here. Do us cross timber have problems? Sure we do. We're, I don't see anybody out here. I'm looking. I don't see anybody who's fully sanctified yet. I'm not. I've got a ways to go, y'all. I take, I don't know, I take a thousand thoughts captive every day and throw them out because they're not the way my Lord wants me to think. Take thoughts captive and dismiss them. Make your confession. Divulge your way. And, and cast out those things. And Jesus says, return. But this church left that. Can it, is it possible? People, we are fragile and frail. And sometimes we don't think we're that way. How, you know the thing that baffles me so much? And even when I read it, I've read it I don't know how many times. When you read about Peter, when, they, when the, the guards came to take Jesus away, and Peter's like, Oh, he's dynamite. He's what I want to be, you know. And he just, no, you're not touching, taking my Lord. And he pulls a sword and he's ready to take a head off, whatever it takes. This is, this is Peter. And then, what is it? What is it? Just a few hours later? I don't know, Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. How does that happen? Has it never happened with you? Has it never happened with you? I hate that it's happened with me, but it happens. We're just fragile. We just have to admit that we need our Lord. We need Him. None of you is without the desperate need of Christ and His grace in your life. We can look at other people. Jesus makes this clear. You can look at and, and see the sins of other people and He reminds us, before you try to take the speck, he reduces the sins of others down to a speck for purposes uh, for you to see your own. And he said, get the log out of your own eye. Just, I think it goes a long way when we realize that we are this kind of people that are fragile. We, we need grace working powerfully in our lives. We need mercy working powerfully in our lives. And then we need our feet solidly planted and anchored in the truth of the Word of God. And then when that's true, we become a light in the community and there is no chance that our Lord, because we invite Him here, we invite His presence and His Spirit to work in our lives and work in our assemblies and call us to Him that He will ever take His lamp away. I don't ever want that to happen. We are inordinately concerned. L look around for a second and see empty chairs. We are inordinately concerned about the, po the, 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 the attendance in our churches today. In this church, I've heard it. Show me a scripture and I will stand corrected. Show me a scripture where God says, be concerned about the numbers among you. Show me that scripture. If we learn to love one another, to love our Lord, to return to that first love, if, if, we, if we do that, he will, he will add to us such as should be added. He will do that. 
It's kind of the way he works. He wants this to be a very healthy church so that he can bring lost people here that can be prayed for and loved on and discipled. This is what he wants. So let me close. Um, <clears throat> he says, remember from where you've fallen. And that just, that could be different from, for a lot of us. But remember, cross timber from where. Look at your life. Maybe you're not at that spot right now. Not everybody will be, but maybe we are. We just got to remember. You know, is love in your life for Christ and your, your desire for Him where it should be? Remember the, I always think about the Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace. Go over that story and read it a few times. But they had a loyalty and a love for Christ that was not up for sale. They didn't care about the rest of the world. They just cared that they would never deny their Lord. Never deny their Lord. So he says, he that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. What is the Lord saying to us? I love this church. And I love that the Lord is in our midst. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. What does what the Spirit say to the church? To us? To the one who conquers? He tells you, I'm going to grant you to eat from the tree of life. I'm too excited about that. I tell you. I celebrated a birthday a week or something ago. My, most of our kids were here and grandkids were there and I was talking to Ella. And she said, she said, Papa, you are one year closer to the Lord, to being in His kingdom. What I really like about that is that I used to talk to her about that. Now she's repeating it. I said, absolutely I am. Absolutely I am. Jesus wants to close the letter like this because he wants your encouragement to be in the fact that one day you get to come home and be with me. And then there will be no more battles. No more necessary vigilance, vigilance against false teaching. Just enjoying the presence of the Lord. Be encouraged by the whole of this letter, especially the end of this letter. Look forward to him. Let's all stand. Our gracious Father, thank you for uh, your word. <clears throat> Lord, I, I desperately wanted, Lord, and, and depend on your spirit to work in my life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters. Lord, we want to be, we want to cherish you, Father, as you cherish us, for sure. We pray, Father, that in your graciousness, in your mercy, in your long-suffering with your children, with us, that we sometimes so stumble around, Father, that you ignite in our heart life from your Spirit and truth. Father, that if we have lost, if we have lost anything, we can recover this. Lord, forgive us for ever turning away from you. Forgive us, Father, for ever setting our own agenda and help us to look to you. And we give you the thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.